A big welcome back to our second episode of this mini WRC series leading up to the WRC 23 event in Dubai. Did you know that data download is a bottleneck and a design driver for both large-scale space stations, like the International Space Station, and small-scale satellites, including micro and nano satellites? You see, the payloads that these missions carry on board, like real-time Earth imaging and IoT traffic, they often gather more data than can be downloaded during the short time periods when an associated ground station is in sight. So, as an alternative solution to this challenge, using satellites in higher orbits as data relay links offer these space stations, Earth observation and small satellite systems in lower orbits an alternative path to download data to the ground, providing options for higher resolution, lower latency, and resiliency. I know, I know, not the easiest thing to get your head around, but lucky for us, Benoit Rougier and Samuel Blondeau from the Spectrum Management and Development Team at SES will join us today to discuss this new exciting application. Welcome back to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smith-Meyer. Samuel and Benoit, welcome to Satellite Stories. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Christina. All my pleasure. Hello, Christina. Thank you for inviting us. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. Benoit, let me start with a quick question for those listening in who may be new to the topic. Can you walk us through how satellite-to-satellite links work? Um, Space-to-space links and satellite-to-satellite communications are a way to transfer data from one satellite to another one. And in this case, we are speaking more specifically about satellites in a low Earth orbit, meaning between roughly three and 900 kilometers in altitude, and one satellite which is at a higher altitude between the what we call the Middle Earth orbit, uh, roughly around 8,000 kilometers, and the geostationary orbit, roughly uh, about 35,000 kilometers. The, the purpose of those links is to do some data relaying from the uh, lower altitude satellite, which is uh, typically here observing the Earth and gathering data. And this satellite, uh, in order to enable more data download from his perspective, needs to relay this data to a higher altitude satellite. So this is what we are talking about today. Thank you, Benoit. So Tell me what types of organizations are showing interest in these types of applications then. I imagine that expanding this type of operation in KA band would open up more possibilities for space actors. So could you maybe share some examples? Sure. So before going into that, uh, I would like to give an example so we can have a better overview of who would be interested. Today, an Earth observation mission needs to download the data that it is gathering down to the Earth for the processing uh, of it. So this processing and this download can only uh, happen when the satellite is in view of a station on the ground, which can receive this information. And given the low altitude of those satellites, a typical pass over uh, any point on the Earth lasts for about 10 to 15 minutes, depending on the altitude of the satellite. 
meaning that if you have a lot of data to download, you need either to have a very high throughput when you're in view of your station, which is not what Earth observation satellites are designed for, or you need to have many Earth stations on the ground, which is really costly. So the idea here is to take advantage of a higher satellite, a higher altitude satellite, which has a longer time of visibility of any point on the Earth. So we can see two sides here. The first side is the what we call the service provider, the high altitude satellite, which is, for example, in our case, SES. This is a great fit for the O3B system and the future M-Power satellites, but also for the GSO satellites that we are operating. Thanks to our global coverage, we can reach uh, any Earth observation satellite anywhere above the Earth and transmit the data back to the ground in a timely fashion. On the other side, there are the Earth observation missions. And here we can think about scientific uh, agencies such as NASA with who uh, SES is partnering, but also with commercial operators such as Planet Labs. There are, of course, many other uh, possible applications for science, defense, observation on any kind of relaying from space. That's very interesting. Thank you. Um, in a recent article by Space News, it was clear that the demand for higher resolution and lower latency in Earth observation missions is stronger than ever. So what are some of the challenges experienced by these types of applications today? How could satellite to satellite links benefit from them? So this data relaying is really the bottleneck today of the Earth observation design, meaning that today the, the companies that are interested in observing the Earth are really limited by the amount that they can download back to the Earth. If uh, we want to give you an example, the Copernicus Sentinels, uh, which is a, a European Union fleet of Earth observation satellites, is today gathering per day about 20,000 gigabytes of new data. And it is tremendously difficult to download this data when you're only above your uh, Earth stations. And therefore, there's a high need for those space relays. Um, those space relays also enable a near real-time delivery of data and access to any satellite in low Earth orbit, meaning that you can change the parameters of your satellites at any point in time. If you want to repoint the camera on space on a satellite in near real time through those space relays, it is now possible. That could help, for example, uh, early warning for adverse weather events or improve targeting and response times for disaster relief efforts. So let me get this right. This is where satellites in higher orbits can be used as inter-satellite data relay links to send the data to the ground? Yes, your, this is correct. This is a quick and cost-efficient way to download data back to the ground. This initiative aims to permit Earth observation and other space systems to relay data from satellites that are in low Earth orbit to satellites that are in higher orbit, whether they are geo or non-geo satellites. And this also means that we can increase the frequency at which the ground systems can receive data, whether they are owned by the Earth observation mission or whether they are owned by SES. And in this work, we are here today focusing on the KA band because it enables higher throughput links that are required to offload larger amounts of data. 
and larger volumes of data for the new applications that we force in space. And all of this can be achieved consistently with the uh, way our satellites work today through the coordination agreements that we have today in place with the other operators and through the regulations that we have to comply with. Thank you, Benoit. Very insightful. Now, coming over to you, Samuel, um, are there any regulatory challenges faced by this new application? Uh, yes, thanks, Christina, for this uh, excellent question. So I think coming back to the beginning, so when you want to utilize the spectrum, so it's by satellite or by other type of usages as mobile, scientific, militaries, all this one, you are, all these utilization are defined in an international treaty of the United Nations. In this international treaty, so for the K-band we are talking about, that's the, the, the band is only available between satellite and a station located on Earth. So according to this international treaty, we are not able to operate this band for the satellite to satellite. So it's not currently feasible. But we, for this, we have the possibility to update this international treaty. For this, we have a mechanism in place. So we have to convince all the member states of the United Nations, which are 193 member states, to clearly uh, show that the, the new utilization will not impact the incumbent services. So, but the same, that's for this, for a modification of the international treaty, we have only the possibility, only that we have a, a conference called a Worldwide Communication Conference. We have the right to uh, first suggest to studying the possible amendment and to amend such international treaty. So for this, SES worked a lot at the previous Worldwide Communication Conference, which was in 19, uh, 2019. We have adopted a new agenda item, which is called Agenda Item 117, for, and we are during this study cycle, we make a lot of analysis to demonstrate that the new utilization for SAT to SAT, as we just discussed, will not impact other incumbent services. And now in a few next months for the, we will have the, the new, new conference, which will review and finalize all the studies and in order to update this internal treaty. Great. So, Samuel, you've described the types of users and functions that could benefit from a successful Agenda Item 17 at this year's conference, as well as the challenges in achieving this outcome. So tell me, what would a successful outcome look like? So I think it would be a very simple answer. That's uh, it would be a successful outcome if we are able, after the WRC uh, at the end of this uh, year, able to operate the SAT to SAT if the international treaty is modified in order to allow such new type of uh, uh, operation. So by doing this one, we will be able, so the, the rules will be changed and we will have the full rights to utilize this uh, KBN for the SAT to SAT for this new type of uh, communication. Thank you so much, Samuel. Now, Benoit, one last question for you. Assuming that this agenda item is successful, what exactly is going to happen next? Uh, first of all, what will happen next is that we will be using the KAPEN operationally to uh, relay uh, any information that needs to be relayed, for sure. 
But on the more regulatory aspect of the question, uh, there are two possible um, follow-ups to this work. The first one is uh, to help uh, the regulation to be put in place by developing international documents to uh, help all the all the parties involved, whether they are directly operating or whether they are potentially affected by those links in terms of interference um, to successfully operate and, and live together in the future. But SES is also active on continuing this work uh, through the expansion into the C-band, uh, which is much lower in terms of frequency than the K-band, um, to, to continue those space-to-space -space links for some applications that are complementary uh, to the ones that we expect uh, in K-A-band through the use of the GSO fleet that we have in C-band and thanks to their global coverage of the Earth, reaching any observing satellite would be faster and uh, easier than in KA. But as a counterpart, the throughputs might be lower than the ones that we will be experiencing in KA. So this is a different uh, dimension, let's say, for this work to be continued in the coming years. Fabulous. Well, Samuel and Benoit, we've so enjoyed spending time with you this morning on Satellite Stories. So thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. What a topic, eh? From our conversation today, it's clear that fostering data relay services by enabling satellite-to-satellite -satellite links is important, not just to support government requirements, but also for commercial systems. Now, there is still so much more to this topic. So if you'd like to learn more on how SES is driving advancements that enhance capabilities of Earth observation and other space science missions, please visit our event page with related WRC23 content on SES.com. You'll find the URL in the episode description. Now, next up, we learn about the regulatory mechanisms like the EPFD limits, or equivalent power flux density, that promote harmonious operations of satellite systems in space. Bye for now.